Hi, this is Dr. Adrian. Welcome to Health Bite, the podcast where we explore all things health and wellness. Hi there, and welcome back to Health Bite. Today, I am very excited to have a special guest with us, uh, Jay Cardiello. Jay is a strength and conditioning specialist um, to many celebrities and professional athletes. He's also regularly featured on television and radio. He is a published author and has given an amazing TED Talk on uh, diet and exercise. And so I'm so grateful to have you here. Jay and I have had the good fortune of speaking together in the past. He's a dynamic speaker and has a lot of knowledge to share. So welcome. Welcome back, Jay. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, great. I'm glad to have you. So, you know, I'm interested in um, your approach. You have a very sensible approach to food, health, lifestyle. I find that a lot of times people who are um, maybe in the limelight or working with celebrities or out there in the media, they tend to coach people in sensational ways. I think on some level, people get excited by sensationalism, right? Even when it comes to food and dieting. But you have a very straight up approach. Can you talk about that a little bit and what brought you to to being and guiding people in this way? Sure. Um, I always say food is the habit. It's not the root cause. Just like drugs are a habit, they're not the root cause. Alcohol is a habit, it's not the root cause. Back in 2013, I was very fortunate. I was asked by a company called Exercises Medicine. They closely are worked with the development of silver sneakers. Many people know about that with uh, exercise for people 65 or 55 and older. So with regard to that, they asked me to develop a way that we can disrupt the pattern of obesity and reduce the chronic conditions associated with obesity. So what I did is I developed a 12-week platform focusing on one behavioral change per week. We had about 2,500 people go through it. We had a 97% success rate and a 91% success rate for sustainable outcomes at year one. Uh, we won a Digital Health Accelerator Award for it and implemented to the Mount Sinai Hospital Systems. So if we really want to put it off in one sentence, it's we go after the root cause of why people do what they do. And at that point, you know, we always talk about New Year's resolutions. You can't move forward without resolving the past. And I'm not saying live in the past, but it's resolving those issues. People who have post-traumatic stress, people who, who have dealt with um, sexual abuse, people who have dealt with things that growing up that later in life come out. And what they do is they fill their voids, sex, drugs, alcohol, depression. So there's we attack those things that people have hidden in their subconscious. And we've been very successful at doing that. Yeah, it's so interesting, right? Because this hunger we have for food um, is often a hunger for something else, right? Um, a hunger for belonging, a hunger for connection. And the, and the interesting thing is that we feel it sometimes physiologically, we feel it the same. We feel it as this kind of gnawing discomfort in our gut that resembles true hunger, right? And so, so there is something also physiologic about that. How do you get people because, you know, I know in working with clients, a lot of times we want to get to the nitty gritty. Tell me how many grams of carbs to eat, right? <laughs> um, so how do you get people to step back and kind of look at that big picture view 
Sure. So whenever I work with a client, whether it's in a medical practice, maybe it's in a um, rehabilitation place, or it's a drug and alcohol counseling, or even on, uh, even on my own clientele, rapport is power. And there has to be congruency between yourself and the client. I can remember back, I was working with a client here in the New York City area, and his mother was not able to reach him. He was close to 30 years old, and he was on drugs and alcohol. He was, I, whenever I take in a client, they have to be just want to get this out. They have to be working, if they're on drugs and alcohol, they have to be working with a psychiatrist and a psychologist. So I'm not just pushing that person out. I'm just going after the root cause. Yes. So I said, we're going to create rapport. So I went in there and he was playing video games and he was drinking a beer. So popped open a beer and started playing video games. What that does, it allows a person to go, wait, he's just like me. If you come in the room and you're like, I can't take it anymore. I can't take it. And you're like, sit down, relax. The person's not going to have rapport with you. It's almost like if I wore a Yankee jersey and you wore a Boston Red Sox, we're, we're going to, we're, we're not going to get along. So with that being said, rapport is power. So before I meet with the person, I will evaluate their environment, learn as much as I can about them. If they are left-handed, people who are left-handed make powerful statements that are, they feel strong about with their left hand and not as pointedly with their right hand. So everything from the way they look to the way they talk, I do a good background study on that. So when I walk in, I create automatic rapport. And I'm going to say this real quickly. So I always say I had the fortunate opportunity to go through a horrific accident. People say breaking my spine. So I had 16 surgeries, put my spine all back together. It's half fused and everything. So I remember when I was coaching, I was brought into the NFL and I was working my way up as an apprentice. So I was with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and I would walk into the training room and I would see, you know, various people who were injured. One in particular, a gentleman had a knee injury. And I went up to him and said, hey, how you feeling? He's like, what do you know about it? He's thinking me as a strength coach and everything. I said, well, I had 60 surgeries. I broke my spine. When I broke my spine, everything went completely out. I had to give up that title that society placed on me as an, as an athlete. And he, he sat back and he was like, really? He's like, you look healthy now. I was like, yeah, because I focused on the end game. I focused on my purpose. And at that point, we had natural rapport. So we had trust. We followed what I said. We became great friends on and off the field. So what I would always tell people is rapport is power. And you have to get that rapport before you even start the process of helping the person. I think, Jay, this is so super important, both, both the concept of rapport or, in fact, I would maybe rephrase that as just meeting people where they're at, you know, exactly, yeah. seeing where people are at and meeting them where they're at, and also acknowledging the fact that at the end of the day, human problems are human, right? So you and yeah. I spend time talking to tons of people, you know, uh, hundreds of people over the course of the year or years. And probably you find what I find is that the same stories repeat themselves, the same issues, the same insecurities, the same concerns repeat themselves, and they resonate with us too. So even though we are the individuals who are guiding, it doesn't mean that we're immune from the same human problems, the same human condition that everybody else is. And this is really important because I think that sometimes people come into this arena with this concept that they are 
less than or not enough, or they are experiencing something that is different and makes them unable to transcend this difficulty. But at the end of the day, everybody has their own variation of it. Isn't of that course. right? Of course, you'll see as you, you know, doctor, you see patterns in people. We see patterns in ourselves. And those patterns are reflected in every social economic background, every culture. It's just not what's placed upon us, it's how we react. And that's the most imperative thing, it's the reaction. It's not the pressure placed on, you know. I always say pain is inevitable, but suffering is a choice. And we're all, we all have the same patterns. The very thing that's so unique about what you just said is that when people go through tough times, people go through financial hardship, they may be struggling with alcohol or food, a lot of times they have, are going to two parts. The first one is they become attorneys or lawyers for their problems. Well, you don't understand. You don't know what it's like to be me. You're not in my, actually don't. So what, ha what we do have to do is break that pattern down of you don't you don't have to suffer you don't have to be a lawyer anymore accept the pain let's find another outlet let's find another way that you can put your energy where it's not so much focused on hurting yourself and what i mean by hurting yourself is food the drugs the alcohol and people don't even realize it's a negative self-talk what you say is what you become and who you will attract the second thing i want to get into is i have this four squares that I set up. And if you look at it, this is how people are. The first square is I have a notepad, so I'll actually give you the rundown of it. <laughs> so if you look at the first square, right, you have everybody who has potential. You have potential, I have potential. And then if the person takes action, that action will create a result, and the result system will create a belief. However, if you have potential and you take little action you get crappy results and then the belief is i told you so so what we what i attempt to do is show people the, the potential they have because we think about it we all have the answers to the test we know how to lose weight we know we shouldn't be dating that guy or girl we know we shouldn't be married to this situation we know we shouldn't be getting up for the job but we have so much fear but what i try to do is to have people understand that People who are very successful have more fear because you and I feel like our days are numbered and they're gonna run out. So we put massive action. Now we may get crap results, but we go back and understand that we can switch our strategy. And then we create a, a belief system in ourselves that, hey, we can do it. So you, so, so these are great principles, right? But you actually have broken them down in your program for, for the hospitals and for silver sneakers into actionable items. I think it's helpful for people who are in a rut, who are feeling like they understand what you're saying, but how do you inspire people to get out of that, to make that first step? And perhaps you can share your own personal experience of having broken your spine and having this hurdle of multiple surgeries that you had to face in order to overcome your physical challenge. Sure. How do you take that first step to get out of that rut? Well, to create rapport, let me share my story. Cause then pe people always say, well, it's easy for you to work out. You can eat whatever you want. I'm like, actually, no, that's not true. You know? So I, I expressed this when I was on the, on the Gary Vee podcast and you know, it's in my books and it's when I get interviewed. So when I was six to nine, I was sexually abused by my neighbor. So 
that I hid for years. And I used athletics as my way to deal with it. That was the only outlet that I had. I wasn't what teachers told me intelligent. I wasn't the, um, you know, the, most smart, the smartest kid in the class, nor was I able to do things that a lot of other children did. So I said, okay, I'm gonna, fi- I'm gonna find my escape in athletics. And first it was martial arts and then it became track and field. When I broke my spine, I at that point had to deal with what I was running away from. So I had to hit it head on. And I went through probably about two to three great years of war with my body. And it was, it was, it was crazy because the only thing you can do sitting in a body cast is just, is just deal with yourself. And one of the first things I had to do is accept it. Second thing I had to do was forgive myself forgive that person and actually have gratitude for what happened. And people say, you're crazy. Why are you having gratitude? If that hadn't happened when I was six, the back problem or solution wouldn't have happened. And I wouldn't be the man I am today. I wouldn't be the father I am today. And you're not going to become successful if you can't handle stress. We all handle stress different ways. When the stress comes on, if, if you go inside and get angry you're not going to become very successful so i had to really first have gratitude for it that's the first step we teach is gratitude anger and gratitude can't reside simultaneously in the brain and it's hard with in my program what i have people do is write letters we call it the unloved letter to their root cause and it could have been their mother their father their neighbor like myself i did it could it could be a sister it could be a person you were 10 years old they told you no, it was a coach and threw you off the team. So writing that unloved letter, expressing immense emotion towards that individual or thing breaks the pattern. You become physically exhausted. You become mentally tired. And at that point, what you do is you say, I have gratitude for it. And then we teach people, we call it, the, we call it our morning rituals, eight minutes of power. We have gratitude. Then we say an incantation, which is, just basically an affirmation to yourself, IJ Cardio about December 31st, and we'll accomplish this, this, and this. I'll see it, feel it, believe it. And then I have people write a journal, and then just two questions. What am I looking forward to? And what's the outcome I want for today? And then we review it at the end. And then maybe do a meditation if people want, 60 seconds running in place or just some sort of physical activity, if they want to. And then I always jump into a cold shower. But that setting up in the day gives you a better opportunity to achieve your outcome. But first you have to go back and write that unlove letter. So to your listeners, I would say, you know, we all know what the trip up was. You know, we all have these dreams in your eight and then you, majority of us when we're getting old and take our last breath, we say, what if? Because we wanted to do what we said we were gonna do when we were eight years old. And between that time, someone told us no, or we can, or or I don't have enough money and you become that lawyer. All I'm helping people is do is to go back to that point, erase that, have gratitude for it, and then go after what you really want to become. There's so much, there's so much that you said there, and I want to unpack that a little <laughs> bit. Um, first of all, I, I really appreciate uh, your generosity in sharing a personal story of uh, sexual abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse. These are things that are so common and that people don't, don't talk about right mm-hmm. um, and so it's very generous of you to share um, as an anecdote and how you use that to get to where you are which is a place of great success and a place of empowering others more importantly 
I think the second thing that you said that was really important is this concept of both gratitude as well as acknowledging your emotions, right? Mm -hmm. So sometimes I, I sense that people feel like having gratitude means ignoring their anger, ignoring their sadness. And those things are not mutually exclusive. You can have gratitude for being healthy and yet be incredibly angry about your financial ruin or the relationship that didn't work out. Um, but being able to acknowledge that and and to work through that strong emotion, as you put it, the fear, the anger, the sadness, and have gratitude at the same time allows you to not ignore, right, what you've experienced, to, to be able to embrace that and yet have a path to go forward. And I think the third point you brought up um, was your own personal ritual, right? So like, it's one thing to have ideas floating in your mind, but in order to really make them, materialize them into a concrete form, we have to create routine or of ritual, course. right? Wake up every morning, do your activities if that's the case, um, your cold shower, your meditation, your journaling, but some kind of routine that is non-negotiable, right? And a non-negotiable routine. I always tell my patients, we don't negotiate brushing our teeth. Sometimes we don't feel like doing it, right? But it's something that you put into practice and therefore you do it routinely, right? And so some of those practices that you've brought up are, are important non-negotiable practices in order to get yourself from a point of inaction to action. Of course, and you bring a very strong point, just like brushing your teeth. It has to become, you have to get addicted to your ritual. If you go to... If you ever, even if you're not a sports fan, we've all seen baseball or football or basketball, some sort of soccer game maybe. If you, when you're sitting on the sidelines and you're watching the player, the game will start at, say, 7 o'clock. They arrive to the arena or wherever stadium around 4, 3 hours beforehand. Then they go see their athletic trainer. They get stretched. They get their knees wrapped. They have maybe a, something to eat. They're out in the court 2 hours beforehand practicing. And then the game starts at seven. How long, now I'm not asking people to get up three hours before they go to work. Right. But what I do ask people is, okay, you get up, you hit the alarm clock 12 times, then you complain first thing, then you go take a hot shower, then you get your hot coffee, then you, you know, say hi to the kids, maybe you don't have kids, you gotta walk the dog, whatever it is, and then you run and sprint to work. And you haven't taken care of what the most imperative thing is, is your mind. You haven't right. gotten that groove in that zone. Now, I've had backlash where people say, well, those athletes get paid a lot of money. You're seeing their end game. That's what's sad about the social media game right now is that we see the end game. You weren't there when LeBron James was seven years old taking a 1,000 shots, and you weren't there when that athlete was getting cut from the team and at 11 years old had to go through this and dad walked out. You weren't there when they never gave up. So we're seeing the process. We see the glory, right? We see the yep. glory at the end, we but we see don't see all the millions of steps it takes to get exactly. to that point. And so, I think, I, sorry, go ahead. No, no, so I was saying is that if we practice those rituals every day, who are you, who are I to say that it's not going to happen? It's only, it's your choice if you want it to happen. So practice the rituals. So when the opportunity comes, you're going to be prepared for it because you never know when it's going to come. 
Right, doing those actions uh, deliberately and with certainty, right? Of course. Routinely with, with certainty. Also embedded in what you're saying is uh, spiritual practices. So mm -hmm. there's the there's the concrete practices of brushing your teeth, maybe exercising, the breakfast that you have, coffee in the morning, but having something in your daily, day-to-day, -day, a spiritual practice like writing or reading or med meditating or something that brings you down to the level of what you're feeling in that moment mm -hmm. is very important as well. Of course, that's why, you know, I, I always, I'm a bit, I'm an avid reader. So, you know, I always, I always challenge myself to read you know, two, three books a month and, and really try to push that. But just for anybody, just pick up something simple first thing in the morning and just write, what am I looking forward to? What's the outcome that I want? You're taking actions on ideas that sit in our minds. You always hear people say, oh, I thought about that 30 years ago and I would be wealthy if I would have put that. Well, you didn't put it into fruition. So what outcome do you want? What are you looking forward to? And then let your mind, you're setting a roadmap for your mind. You're setting a roadmap for your goals and you're keeping yourself on point. Now, sometimes, you know, another big thing, I was homeless for a little while. Um, so with that being said, I still did those same things and people are like, well, what are you looking forward to at that point? I was looking forward to sharing smiles. I was looking forward to connecting. I was looking forward to, in a sense, just having better connection with myself. And it's not about something that I, I went you know, to and had a door and shut it in a bed that was missing. The majority of what's missing is us. We lack self-awareness, a lot of people. We lack who we are, not knowing who we are. And then we go after other people and other things to fill those voids. So that's what I'm saying. Get focused. Ask yourself those two questions. Take initiative and take massive action towards what you're focused on. I think another thing that needs to be said is that, um, that no journey is, is consistently straight up and to the right. You know, we, we imagine that we finally arrive at some goal and then we coast. And the reality is that that's not the case. And we started talking about food and mm -hmm. you talk about weight, uh, as, as do I in my work. And it's not a practice where you arrive at that weight or you arrive at that habit, right? There are dips and valleys in all of these journeys. And I think... What, why, the reason why it needs to be said is because sometimes we get tripped up. We get tripped up by that five pound weight gain or 10 pound weight gain or the month that we got thrown off of our exercise routine because we were inundated at work. And the problem is not the five or 10 pound weight gain or the fact that we took a month off of our exercise routine. The problem I find is the inability to get past that. All of that negative self-talk that sabotages us further rather than accepting that these things will come in dips and valleys, right? We will have moments where we are not continuously successful, but if we're able to embrace that, to acknowledge that and not judge it, we can get back on track. It's so true. And you, your words are very strong there. And I can add to that in saying, you know, we're, a couple of things. Number one, we're scared for one thing to put ourselves out there and fail in front of people. I love failing in front of people because all success is preceded by failure. They're all steps to a greater goal that you're going after. People are scared and then they gain a pound or eat wrong and say, oh, I can't do it. 
because number one, they're going to come back and people are going to be like, yeah, I told you so. I told you so. So we have to watch out who we keep around. We also have to watch out what we say to ourselves. We also have to forgive ourselves more. That's why I always go back whenever I'm talking to anybody, even if they don't like sports, nobody makes every shot. Nobody hits every ball. But does that baseball player who strikes out, does he walk off the field and quit? No. He goes right to the bench and says, okay. And it's gone at that point. And the coach goes, here, just change your swing, go down a little of this, and you make better contact. And there are some days that he strikes out every time. But he didn't strike out in life. We're giving, every day you have another opportunity, but it's a choice. What we have to do is work, in my opinion, in my industry, is we have to work more and allowing people the opportunity to face fear head on, to deal with root causes, and to understand that it is, as you mentioned, a process. And we have to be real with the people. It is a hard process. You know, 5% of people in this world make things happen, 15% watch, 80% don't know what the heck is going on. That 5% has said, you know what? Through every storm, through every person watching, I'm going to go after it. Because at the end, you never want to say what if. And that 5%, I even think it's less, is going to say, I'm so happy to close my eyes and go off. And it's not something endowed in that individual. They don't have some trait that is greater than no, the rest. No, it's it's just the ability, as you said, to fail, the ability to acknowledge where they're at with, without judgment, with self-compassion, the ability to accept that in order to not sabotage future attempts, right? Exactly. And there's another point that I want to mention, and we're both leading into this. We have to watch out who we hang around with. If you... I never call a person a loser, but I'm just going to use this just an illustration. If you hang out with people who lose, you are going to become just like them. So I always say, you know, we've heard it from even the great Jim Rome, is that show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You're a representation. You're the average of your five friends. It's not saying cut off all your friends and then go down the street. Maybe you should. It's just watch who you hang out with. Because you have, I always call them tail waggers, and we teach this in the programming, is that we need more tail waggers. A tail wagger is if you have a dog, you can close the door, walk outside, get the mail, walk back in. The dog acts like they haven't seen you in years. That's how friends should be, but also that's how you should be to yourself and your friends. You have to be a greatest cheerleader for yourself. You have to be a cheerleader for your friends and vice versa. Your friends have to cheer on your wins as much as they have to do cheering on your losses. And a good friend, a good friend will say, hey, listen, you lost, great, no worries. Here's what you can do better to not experience that. So watch who you hang out with. And that, and you brought yourself, you brought the individual into that, into that scenario as well. Because usually it's not the friend who's gonna say terrible things to you. Um, it's the person, we are our, our own worst enemies, right? We say mm -hmm. things to ourselves that we would never dare say to our mm -hmm. friends or our family. So we trip ourselves up usually more than the people that we hang around with. Mm -hmm. So I know you have a young boy, right? Yes. And yes. so talk about how you use um, these concepts of uh, self-acceptance, um, how do you how do you engage a, a young child in this in this, and how do you use lifestyle, food, movement, um, in order to bring this about in your in your child rearing and in your son? 
Those are great questions. Um, the first thing, just starting off at a very young age, if we explored everything, you know, whether you want to be in a play, you want to be in baseball, football, whatever it is, we've explored. And we've had situations where my son, his name is Max, Max didn't want to play baseball anymore. Okay, here's what we're going to do. And he was five years old. We walked down to the, the, the diamond or the, the, to go see the coach. Yeah. And he, yes, thank you. And he told the coach that I don't want to play anymore. And the coach was like, okay, thank you for telling me, Max. Well, listen, you take today off. And if you want to come back next week, that's fine. We'd love to have you. I wanted to teach him early on that if he wants to make a decision, he's going to have to understand that if he doesn't want to do it anymore, it's up to him to go talk. It's up to him to say, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. To become, you know, give him control and have empowering him, him right? Exactly. Empowering him to make his own decisions and to stand up to the yeah. consequences, maybe. Of yeah. course. And, and the second thing is, we really, we really focus. Both his mother and I really focus on the words that he's saying. So every day we start off whenever we leave for school, we go S T R O N G, strong day. So I said, we always I call the door the curtain call. It's when we step out. And, you know, we had dress rehearsal, getting ready. And then basically he goes out. But one of the most important things for all parents is it's not what I say to him. It's my actions. We don't have, you know, we don't have the TV going on all day. It's a, that's a special time. I start off my day. He sees me doing my push-ups. He sees me eating vegetables. And he sees me reading a lot. And my son. Role modeling. Yeah. So I always say, watch what you say focus on more of what you do. And I want you to talk a little bit about um, your habits around the dinner table. So we've talked about this in the past, about yes. food being a way to nourish your body, but also a way to nourish your soul, bringing family around the table and a connection. So share a little bit how you do that in your own family with your children. Or so, with your son. So, so one of the most important things that, these days that I see a lot of when I work with families is separate meals. Yeah. One's eating hamburgers, macaroni and cheese. Now I understand when I, when my son was young, you know, you did, we all did the macaroni and cheese and you're just, you know, you're not even eating, you're feeding. But as he got older, now he's actually going to be turning eight soon. As he's getting older, the meals are all the same around the table. Yeah. Um, there is, you know, we have designated things to do in terms of chores. Dad's doing the dishes, you're cleaning off the table, you're setting up. So we set boundaries early on so that he can, at that point, uh, pass that tradition. And we make Sunday dinners a really joyous family. That's when we invite people over. That's when we have Italians, we'll have pastas and everything along that lines. And he sees that and he knows that's very communal. So it's like Sunday is going to be the time we're celebrating with everybody. This is the time we're celebrating with our immediate family and we talk. And that's one of the biggest things. There's no cell phone. There's no interruptions. There's no uh, iPad going. There's nothing. There's that interaction that we have with each other. Yeah, the technology piece is so important. I think a lot of times people's work and lives, unfortunately, don't allow them to have dinner around the table every single night as a family. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. to the extent that we can do that, to bring all the parties at the table and to do it without 
technology, right? Not only is it good for the, the family values, but actually studies show that when you eat around people and not around technology, you're less likely to gain weight, to have obesity in yourselves and in your children. So there's, there's actually medical reasons aside of from course. the spiritual reasons of sitting around the table. Yeah. And I was so going to say, uh, yeah, go, go ahead, Jay. No, no, go ahead. No, I'm waiting we can, for you. You and I could talk all day. So please jump in. So uh, I know, I know one of the things we, we spoke about in the past is that when I do work with families, you know, you mentioned about technology and, and a lot of people have to eat, you know, remotely away from their family, but they're traveling. So two things you can always do is that uh, if you're at home and you're worried about overeating, blue naturally suppresses your appetite. So sometimes when I do work with clients, we have them eat off of blue plates because what food in nature besides blueberries relates to that color so the brain goes, I can't relate to that. The second thing, yeah, the second thing is we have the person eat with their non-dominant hand. See, there's so many, so many times that people say, okay, you're going to have this much vegetables and this much thing. And a lot of times that's not real for many people. But we all have, you know, the availability to hold a fork. And if you switch the opposing hand, it actually slows the process down of how fast you're eating. It may take you some time, may get a little frustrated. However, in the end game, it's much easier. And I teach my son even now to eat with a non-dominant hand, to brush his teeth with his non-dominant hand, just things that you wouldn't normally do, but it's going to help so much later in life. It goes back to intention, right? Slowing mm -hmm. down slowing down enough in order to do things intentionally. And, and the, this is one of many great tips that you've shared. Um, it's so nice to talk to you. And again, I really appreciate your honesty um, and your generosity in, in sharing your stories. I think it's so important to, for people to see that somebody like you who is in the spotlight the way you are can be genuine about real things that have happened and how you've used that in order to, to uh, succeed, essentially, right? To surpass those, those triumphs. Well, you know, we're all connected and we're, you know, uh, Unfortunately, we're separated by social economics and people, culture and color and language and this, but we're all connected. We're all one earth. We're all, we're all one human. You know, if you hurt, I hurt. People don't realize that. If someone's sad, it affects the world. So, Absolutely. yeah, we really need to understand that we're all one human race. We're not different. We're not yes. all the same. And what a, a great way to end uh, with on that note um, that we're all in it together. Right? Yeah. We're, all, we're all in this together. Thank you so much for your time. It's always an honor talking with you. I really enjoyed speaking with you as well, Jay. You take care of yourself. Thanks so much. Thank you again. 